Welcome to the Straight Talk Physio Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Andrew Junek and Dr. Craig Giambattista. On today's episode, we're going to talk about five of the 15 healthcare myths and lies that are told to patients every single day. We're going to break down each of these myths and give you a better understanding of why you shouldn't let these commonly held misconceptions get in the way of seeking care or recovering from injury. Um, so, Craig, this is a uh, part three of our three-part series on the 15 healthcare myths that patients are told every single day. Um, you know, I love to round this down. Obviously, there are more than 15. We are going to stop at 15 because um, we do want to move on to other topics. But again, we have a great lineup for you guys. I can guarantee you that these are things that you've thought about, you've heard, you've been told. Um, so we're super excited to deliver this content to you today. So yeah. Oh, go ahead, Craig. I was going to say, yeah, excited to go for this part three of three. And again, some of the stuff we hear so often, we know you guys are thinking it. So we got it. We absolutely have to address it. All right. So let's get rolling here. So the first one is I have joint pain. I need an x-ray or MRI as soon as possible. This one is loaded with uh, good tips, some information. Um, we hear this a lot. Patients believe that they need this as soon as possible, when in all reality, um, we got some things to say about that. So why don't you start us off, Craig? And this is a daily one for me. I get this all the time being in more of like an outpatient setting. I think the first thing that I, I educate people on is, you know, why do we need the image? Like what is an x-ray or what is an MRI good for and why do we even get them? So typically they're used as a nice screening tool for a serious problem. So if uh, x-ray, if you broke a bone, that's like one of the big ones. There's many other reasons it's used, but, you know, the one I think we can all relate to is, you know, breaking a bone. As far as the MRI is concerned, it's really good at finding those, you know, less than 1% serious health problems. So like a malignancy, so like a tumor or a cancer or like a, what I consider like a frank musculoskeletal injury like a soccer player gets, you know, slide tackled or twist, they hear a pop, you know, they have, we do some knee tests on them and they come up positive. So it's like, yeah, we absolutely need to get you this image there. So they're very good at screening for those, you know, serious problems. And they're also good if we think that, you know, a surgical intervention might be the appropriate approach. It's nice to kind of see what's going on in there. Um, and I think that those are a little bit, you know, less common to be positive. So a lot of the patients that we see in a lot of, you know, painful conditions kind of fall into that gray area that, you know, maybe we don't need, uh, you know, an MRI or an x-ray because it needs to provide, it's just a piece of the clinical puzzle. So the image needs to line up with your, uh, you know, the patient interview, the examination that the provider is doing, and then the image is kind of taken into, you know, taken into account. I would say overall, imaging in the United States is pretty overutilized because we tend to, you know, immediately want to know what is going on. And I think that the image as like a standalone thing for most, you know, these chronic problems, these not like obvious damaging things, not these serious pathologies, when it comes to that world, their diagnostic utility is pretty limited. And I think that you know, it's very algorithmic in our health system. Like you come in, your shoulder hurts. Okay, let's get a shoulder x-ray. Let's do some sort of intervention. And after a short period of time, if that doesn't help, let's get an MRI. And I don't know how we got stuck on that path, but I, I have a real problem with that. Um, we talked in depth about this, uh, this subject, x-rays, MRIs, 
in a little bit more detail. So if this is something that's interesting to you, or if you're someone that thinks that you know imaging is the beyond all, I strongly uh, encourage you to go check that out. But I think the number one thing here, you know, for the purpose of this podcast is the x-ray or the MRI or whatever imaging you so choose, it's just a piece of the diagnostic puzzle. And it's not like we can't never, are we going to just rely on the image alone? Um, so I don't know if you tend to hear this, Drew, or what you tend to say as far as like, you know, some of this uh, imaging stuff is concerned. Yeah, I'm constantly talking about this, this topic here. A lot of people initially, they, they have a problem and they think that the image, and I think this is the biggest problem here. This is, this is where to patients, it makes sense, but it's the biggest misconception, right? Patients think that they need an answer. They need to know what's going on. And they believe that a picture is going to tell them that. Mm -hmm. Okay. They believe that an MRI or an X-ray is going to tell them exactly what's going on. And in theory, you know, from a logical standpoint, that should make sense. But in reality, that's not how it works. Um, unfortunately, a lot of times when we get this imaging, we actually end up with more questions um, as opposed to solutions. Because whether or not something shows up as positive, um, you know, we might be looking for something in particular, and then it's not there. And then we say, oh, well, now what is it, right? Or the flip side, we might, you know, do an image of a joint and then see all these things that <laughs> that are wrong, but we don't know which one is actually the one causing the problem or which one has been there for 10 years and it's not, it's not causing any difference or making any change to the symptoms at all. And so with that being said, we also wanted to include some of the things that patients do tend to find on imaging um, and they think it's a problem that can't be fixed. So for example, degenerative disc disease. So if you're over the age of 20 years old and you get an X-ray or an MRI, they're likely to find some degenerative changes. Now they're going to be pretty mild. They might find a little bit of changes versus someone who's maybe in their 60s or 70s. Um, but lo and behold, they'll be there. Now, is it likely that they're causing the problem? No, not at that, not at that young of an age. Now, is, if an MRI report says moderate to severe, does that mean that that disc disease is causing the problem? Not even necessarily then. So it's really hard to sift through the problem. And that's why, you know, to the point that you made earlier, we have to correlate these findings with our physical exam or with a detailed physical exam. Not to say that surgeons don't do physical exams or orthopods don't. They do, but they also don't have an hour to spend with somebody to run through all the different testing, watch your spine move, press on every single segment of your spine to make sure, yep, you know, your image said that L5S1 is the problem. When I press on L5S1, that recreates your pain. Now we have a match with those findings. Other things that we commonly see that don't always correlate with pain, bone spurs. Many people see, have bone spurs. They think they need to get them shaved off. They go to a physical therapist. They get treatment. Pain goes away. Well, bone spur is still there. They don't have any pain. So bone spur wasn't the cause of the pain. It was just the tendon was irritated. It had nothing to do with the bone spur at all labral tears, rotator cuff tears, disc herniations. You'll see people who come in, have MRIs, disc herniation at L2, L3, L4, L5, that's why they have like five disc herniations. Only one of them is causing the problem. <laughs> so what are you going to do? Go get surgery at five different discs and then find out that it was the one that they forgot to do it on that uh, you know caused the issue and they wake up and they still have the same pain. I mean, this is the reality of the situation. This stuff happens every single day. This is what we battle as healthcare providers. Not only are we battling it, surgeons are battling it. 
um, you know, every provider from GP all the way up to, you know, the, the most intricate of surgeons, this is what we battle with our imaging. You know, it's, it's always a percentage game. There are no guarantees. So when you get these images and you think you're going to get answers, you're, you're wrong. You're, you're rarely getting, you know, the exact answer. You're getting more of almost a convoluted picture. Um, cysts are another thing. Cysts can be painful. Cysts don't have to be painful. Um, arthritis, like we mentioned earlier, different types of arthritis can be seen on these images. Um, things called spondylolysis, spondylolisthesis, there are shifts in vertebrae. You can see these on images, but they don't have to be painful. You can find them by accident. So sometimes people have like a, a motor vehicle accident where they'll have neck pain, but because they had a motor vehicle accident, they'll take an image of their entire spine, neck, mid back, low back, and they want to make sure that nothing else is wrong. Well, they won't have any pain in these spots at all, but they'll find these abnormal findings. And sometimes they're actually like abnormal can actually be normal in a weird way. Um, scoliosis is another one. If the curve is slight, it may have nothing to do with your pain at all. If the curve is, you know, greater than maybe 30 degrees or 40 degrees, then something probably needs to be done about it. So all this stuff is relative and it should all be taken within a context. Do you see that stuff too, Craig? Do you see these weird imaging results where, you know, they get this laundry list of things and the patient looks at the report and they say, oh my gosh, like all this stuff is wrong with me. Like clearly I need surgery. And then you work with that patient a little bit, you figure out what's the true cause of the problem and then they're, they're taken care of back to normal. Right. And I think that one of the big problems with imaging is it gives us like so much information. So what I tend to think about is let's say a patient comes in with, you know, with neck pain and you think you have a pretty or the, you know, the ordering physician, or you think that you have a really good idea of what's going on. Like you have a really great handle on it and you're like, you know what, um, just to be safe for whatever reason, there was some imaging done on this patient as well. And the image doesn't line up with what you think is going on, but you know, there's some other stuff going on, maybe in some other, some parts of the neck, maybe some unrelated places. So now you kind of, it's easy to convince yourself that something else might be causing the problem. You say, well, this is the idea I had. This is the, the picture I made clinically. I'm really confident of that. But now, you know, we have this image and like maybe the image doesn't completely agree with me, but there's some other parts of your neck or upper back that, you know, look abnormal. So like now maybe that's the cause of the problem. When in that case, I think we get ourselves into trouble there. You know, I think we're, we're looking to be so specific when in some cases, you know, we can't be. And from the patient's end, uh, like they, as a patient, you know, you're, you're just not really familiar with all the anatomical jargon or, you know, what things are supposed to mean. And the, the big problem for me is that you can't unsee the image. You can't unread the imaging report. You can't unhear what the, you know, what your doctor told you what's going on. Like if you go in with, low back pain and you know you have imaging findings saying like yeah you have decreased disc space at l4 and l5 and you have uh you know a set arthritis at l5 s1 which are totally normal findings if you're a certain age but if someone tells you all that then like immediately of course your mind is gonna gonna say like well this is this is what's causing my pain because it's not you know quote normal so i think that that's a it's a hard problem to address and i think that the overutilization of this kind of stuff and is like one of the core things of the problem like core core you know issues here i had a patient just last week 
um, that had a simple ankle sprain, like just or, or ankle pain, foot pain. Um, and we kind of got to the bottom that it was likely a, a tendon problem. But before they even came to see me, they said I was, you know, I was just walking and my ankle started to hurt. So I went to the urgent care and I demanded that they give me an x-ray and the x-ray came back, nothing was wrong. And then this specific person said, well, I argued with the doctor until they gave me an MRI that day because I needed to know. That's impressive. I want to know what they said. That's hard to do. They, hard which to normally that, that doesn't happen. This, this, this was a very convincing Ooh. individual. So I give them a world of credit for that because they absolutely got what they wanted. And then the MRI comes back, everything looks normal. And then all of a sudden that was like unacceptable to the patient. Like, well, this hurts and there's nothing on the imaging. So what's caught, you know, that was like aggravating to them, yeah. you know? And I think that as medical professionals, we've made a huge mistake. Because I think the attitude for that should be the imaging is meant to find really serious stuff. So in this person's case, nothing serious was found. So you, sh in, in my mind, you should say, wow, this is great. Yeah. There's no serious things happening. I yeah. still have pain, you know, but the big things, we can rule those out, you know? So we're pretty confident that's not happening. But like we have this mentality. And I don't know if this, I, I have no other experience outside of the United States healthcare system, but maybe that. We, we have like this, I need an immediate answer. I need instant gratification. You know, I think it's like this mindset that comes with this kind of stuff that is, is not positive. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, if I was to get an MRI or an x-ray, you know, and I thought something was torn and it said, oh, everything looks fine. I'd be jumping and skipping out of there. You know, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be like, oh, that's going to save me a lot of money. I don't need a, a $50,000 surgery for a rotator cuff repair or a $100,000 uh, spinal fusion. Like I'd be ecstatic. I'd say, oh, this is great news. It's nothing serious. There's no tumor, no, you know, nothing scary going on. Your, mm -hmm. your life has been preserved. But a lot of times people, they're in search for these answers and they're just, they're so disappointed when it doesn't happen. But on the flip side, I also see a lot of like challenge too when patients come to me and they've had all that imaging. For example, I'll get patients who will come in and say, oh, I had an image and it said that my hips were out of alignment or um, you know, this is a SI joint problem. And then I screen them and it's, it has nothing to do with their SI joint. It's actually a low back pain problem. And the patient almost doesn't want to believe me. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. The, the, to them, it's, we have a picture. Look, the picture says this. And it's like, yeah, but that's all it is, is a picture. Like, think about that. It's, it's, it's just a picture. It's a piece of paper, essentially, you know, it's an image, a static image. It, that picture isn't human. That picture doesn't, hasn't problem solved your issue. That, that picture hasn't listened to all the things that make your pain worse. All the things that make your pain better. Hasn't watched your spine move. Like it's, it's so crazy to me how much stock people put in to the picture that they get in a non-moving snapshot of where their spine is in like, you know, a millisecond, right. Um, versus the ability to spend an hour with someone and push on all these different joints, watch them move, do all these different things. So, you know, I, to me, when I see a patient who has been extensively imaged, had an x-ray MRI, they usually ask me like, oh, should I bring the x-ray MRI to the appointment? I will tell them if there is nothing serious on that x-ray MRI, I don't even want to see it because I don't want it to bias me and I don't want it to change my process for diagnosing. I'd rather not even look at the image bring it in and then we'll talk about it after if you want to. Like if you're burning to learn what the image says, 
Um, let me do my assessment. Let me tell you what I think is going on. Then we'll pull out the image and then we'll see if it matches up. Um, and, if, and don't be surprised if it doesn't. And don't be surprised if you get the outcome you're looking for um, and I'm treating you for something different than what's on the picture. So, yeah, and I think this is something, like I said, we could talk about till we're blue in the face, or at least I know I can. This is something I know we're both very passionate about. And like I said, we have a couple great episodes talking about this stuff, so go check them out. Uh, so without the risk of, you know, getting on too big of a soapbox, uh, let's move on to number three here, <laughs> which, again, super common one. This patient will come in, tell me this problem has happened before. I just need blank to fix it. And, you know, exercising is going to help. Does that ever happen to you, Drew? All the time. I get patients who come to me and they say like, oh, um, you know, my hip goes out of alignment. And then I go see provider X and they put it back in alignment. Or, um, you know, this injury happens. And then I just go to the massage therapist and then it gets better. And, you know, my question is, why does it keep happening? <laughs> you know, if, if the problem's been solved completely, um, then why does it continue to come back? Okay. Um, and so usually that's when people end up finding you and they've tried a lot of these other like treatments and what we, what we call these treatments, we lump them into two different categories. Okay. Um, there's what we call passive treatments and passive treatments are anything that is being done to you. So I'm not saying passive treatments aren't bad. I'm just saying that passive treatments might not solve your problem. Okay. So a passive treatment is massage dry needling, electrical stimulation, TENS units, muscle scraping or tendon scraping, stretching, uh, manipulation or adjustments. Those are all what we consider like passive treatments. The patient's laying there. They're not really doing anything with their body or their muscles. Stuff is just happening to them. Okay. We have great research to show, great research to show that these types of passive treatments help with pain relief. And they do, but it's short term. Okay. So my question to everyone, all of my patients is, you know, what is it that you're looking for? If you're looking for short-term pain relief, we can deliver that. Like if you come to me and you say, Hey, I just want cupping. I want massage. I want dry needling. I want all this other stuff. I have no interest in exercise. Now say, listen, I'm going to be completely honest with you. The best we know about this stuff is you can get some short-term pain relief and the problem's going to come back. So we got two options. We can do the short-term solution and we can just do a bunch of feel good stuff. We can make you feel great. You'll walk out of here. You'll be like, Oh, I feel awesome. And then in two days, it'll bother you again. Or we can do a long-term solution where we incorporate an active component to this, which does require some lifestyle change on the part of the patient. It requires an accurate diagnosis by the practitioner, you know, going through a system systematic method to figure out exactly what is the cause of the problem. And then the next thing is providing active strengthening exercises to target and remedy that problem. And you can combine passive treatments along with that. So what we know from research is passive treatments equal short-term pain relief. Active treatments, exercise, lifestyle change, um, those two things lead to more long-term benefits. And then what we know also is that when you combine the two, short-term pain relief with the long-term pain relief things, we get the best outcome overall. Craig, got anything to add to that? What else do you think? What you said when you first started off on this topic is, you know, I think so important. When someone comes in and says, well, this has happened before, you know, and then, you know, I get, it gets put back in place and it's better. And 
people don't know how to react when you say, then why does it keep happening? Yep. You know, that's like such an important question. And I think to dig in deeper to that and just like ask those kind of questions is, is incredibly important. And the one answer I get a lot that is like, is like infuriating to me is like, well, could you imagine what I would be like if I didn't have this, you know, <laughs> like, like all of a sudden, you know, like this is keeping it a baseline, you know, like and if I didn't have it, I would be like so, so worse, you know? And to me, that's like completely unacceptable. You know, I, I think that that creates like a reliance on that thing. And I think if you're out you're someone that is listening that thinks you need to have like this passive thing done to you because it keeps you at this baseline and it keeps you from regressing, I think that you need to reevaluate kind of what you're doing because um, yeah. that's not typically the case. And I think, you know, that could be, you know, that could be easily taken advantage of, which and I think is irresponsible as healthcare providers. Um, but another thing worth talking about is if something has happened before and, you know, maybe someone just, you need another set of eyes on it. Cause a lot of times, you know, we've talked in the past on, on podcasts here, about things called referred pain. There's another concept called regional interdependence. And basically this just means that if you're having a problem in one area of your body, maybe another area is actually causing it. So you're, maybe you're having knee pain, but maybe the root of the problem is your hip or your low back. You know, I think we get caught up as a medical community looking at the area that hurts most. And sometimes we forget to look, you know, we forget to, if you have knee pain, we got to look at the ankle, we got to look at the hip, we have to look at the low back. It's, you know, a little cliche for me, a physical therapist to say this, but it is all connected. So uh, if you, you know, if you're having pain in one area, that doesn't necessarily mean that's exactly what's causing it. So if you have this recurrent problem, maybe you need to, you know, try a different approach and maybe fix some, you know, other mechanics or lifestyle stuff. Uh, and Drew, you said it, you know, you said it great is kind of making this overall change to help you out. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the secret sauce to what we do is, you know, I think the, the biggest thing is we identify the cause. And then from there, we incorporate a number of different things all together. But first and foremost, it's that I'll get patients to ask me, they'll say, like, if you could do one thing to to treat a problem, what would it be? Um, and a lot of times, you know, I think they expect to hear me say, uh, maybe like pop a joint or maybe they expect me to say like dry needling. Those are kind of the two, the two buzzword type things or the, the two things that are most popular in our community. But I, if I had to give my honest answer, it'd be movement. If I could only have one of the tools that I have, um, I would use movement with the lifestyle change essentially. So it'd be that active approach in and of itself to stimulate the correct response. Now I do think some of the other stuff that I use, I don't think that stuff is useless, obviously like, Obviously, massage is helpful for pain relief. Obviously, dry kneeling is helpful for pain relief. But at the end of the day, if you told me I only have one, um, it's going to be my expertise in movement that's going to get the patient the biggest, most long-term return on their investment um, that they're going to get out of seeing me as a provider. So with that being said, let's move on to the next topic because that's another one. Man, we, we really picked some dense topics for this podcast. Um, the next one is, I can tell changes in the weather based on my pain. Uh, this is this is a great one. Talk about like controversial as as any other topic. So, Craig, go ahead and get us started. So this one is super interesting, like you said, and this is one of those weird sort of things to where the research and people that study this stuff kind of says uh, it doesn't. There's no correlation, but 
it, clinically, we tend to see this a lot. Patients will say, well, it's going to rain tomorrow, so my knee hurts. And we hear that enough that, you know, you got to start thinking like there's, there's something to that, you know. So we'll take a step back and we'll kind of explain on both sides what we see. What is the research saying? What are we seeing from patients? So more on the, you know, the science end, the research guys and gals at this stuff. Uh, recently, there have been some studies looking at uh, like back and joint pain, and this is data that was looking at like millions of visits occurring over like years and years of time, and they were not able to draw like a direct connection between rainy weather and symptoms of back or joint pain. Um, so, like on the science end, they they tend to not uh, they tend to not agree with it. There's a little older study, 2014, uh, group out in Australia, no link between back pain and rain temperature, humidity, or air pressure. And again, this was, you know, done over a pretty, pretty long period of time. So the, just the basis of do the weather and joint pain correlate, you know, from a scientific standpoint, a little hard to say, a little hard to say yes there. Um, but there is some people out there, they'll, they'll start to say that, you know what, maybe it has to do with the pressure, you know, when weather changes, the barometric pressure. And there is some, some literature out there that followed, you know, a couple hundred people around for about three months and their knee pain did increase uh, when temperature fell or barometric pressure rose. So I think the take home from this is first and foremost, it's hard to study. Like this is a hard thing to look at. So it's, it's hard to make a direct, you know, correlation. But as of now, the likelihood of just purely weather and joint pain from a research standpoint, not much of a relationship there. But on the opposite end, the clinical end, I mean, I can speak on my end. I hear this, you know, all the time, like consistently across all different kinds of people, different ages, different body parts, different pain presentations. You know, we see this all the time. So that, that's got to make you think like there's got to be something going on here. So what's happening? And I think that, you know, one of two things can explain that. Mm -hmm. First off, like I said, it's tough to research this stuff. So maybe we're just not looking at the right stuff. Maybe there is some correlation, but maybe someone hasn't like, you know, crack that code of what, what exactly we should be looking at. And on the second end, I think that just as people in general, we are really good at remembering when two things change or occur together. So if you have like super bad knee pain one day and you're diagnosed with, you know, you have knee osteoarthritis and it happens to be crappy weather outside, it's like easy to make that connection. Um, we tend to not make those connections as regularly when like that doesn't happen. So when it's raining outside, like you might not even be thinking about your knee or if it's just a little bit sore, you might not really kind of notice it. Um, so I think if I haven't met a patient that has like documented it themselves, you know, they come in and they say, I know when it's going to rain because my knee hurts. You know? And this is, I never really asked them that, but I'm like, well, do you, you know, do you think they journal that over the past three to six months to see how true that is, you know? So I think that, you know, a couple of those things could play into it. But when people ask me that, I say that, Right now, it's like a two-part crappy medical answer. It depends, right? Like, we're not sure if we're studying the right stuff, but as of now, it doesn't look like weather and uh, joint pain correlate. Maybe the change in pressure, but uh, overall, we hear it so often, I tell the patient that I, I just remain skeptical. Could there be a connection? Maybe, but as of right now, I can't be, you know, overly positive about it. So a little long-winded answer, but I think that seeing that this kind of sits in the gray area is pretty interesting. So I don't know. Do you get that, Drew? What do you typically tell people? Yeah, so I get patients who who mention that, and oftentimes they're right. <laughs> um, but it's interesting because not every patient that has arthritis mentions that. 
that make sense? So I might have some patients who are, uh, let's say, um, I have 10 patients who are over the age of 55, right? Let's say all 10 of them have knee pain. You know, one may, might have like severe osteoarthritis, very limited knee motion, those sorts of things. And he might make that comment to me, right? But then the next patient who has more of a mild knee arthritis, you know, their knee still fully bends, it's not as bad. He never talks about the weather, right? Um, and he never meant, might never even mention that. So I, I think there, as far as like future studies, we might need to think about uh, correlating specific joints to people who report this, because I tend, I tend to see it more in knees and hips. I don't really see it that much in the spine. Um, I don't know if you do, but I know the one of the studies mentioned that, you know, they looked at the spine and there was, I think, 11 million uh, medical visits that they looked at. And again, I don't know how many of those visits actually reported that weather, you know, makes or causes a change in their symptoms. So I, I think there's just a lot of details that for future studies that need to be included, um, especially looking at the severity of arthritis. You know, most of these people have already had some sort of an x-ray if they're being diagnosed with knee osteoarthritis, again, because we have an, an over-imaging problem here in the United States. So should be very easy to gather that data um, of people who have very bad knee OA and then track their symptoms over time through physical therapy, reports to GP, uh, orthopedic surgeons, and then be able to see if they make these comments. Um, so I think a lot of it comes back to how well the, the information is documented and then also, um, you know, what part of the body as well. I tend to not see it in shoulders. I tend to not see it in the, the spine. I tend to see it mostly hips and knees. Do you, what body parts do you see it the most? Yeah, I would say typically lower extremity stuff. And I think just taking another step back, like I typically like hear patients talk about this with like joint related problems. Like mm -hmm. if someone has, you know, if I would say like a tendon or muscle problem or like a ligament strain or something like that, like yeah. you, you tend Never to not hear about this stuff. You know, I, I can't say that I'm like an expert on weather and other conditions, you know, when it comes to like literature stuff. Um, but I would say from a clinical aspect or like a clinical experience kind of deal, I tend to see this weather correlation mainly with like joint related problems and they typically are in the lower extremity. Yeah. So you can't study this in general knee pain. It needs to be like joint related pain and probably osteoarthritis and they need to single out some of these folks and then uh, try to run a study and figure it out from there. Totally agree. It's a, Definitely a fascinating concept. I would say patients are typically, they hit the nail on the head. They'll usually say, yeah, it's going to rain tomorrow, you know, and they have a flare up in their knee pain. And sure enough, you know, I wake up the next morning, it's raining and I'm like, oh, you know, Joe was right. <laughs> you know, right. but then again, too, I mean, like, man, right. <laughs> if you're going to, if you're going to make us like a, if you're going to make that, you know, like uh, situation up in your mind, like that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, like if I have knee pain and I say, I'm going to wake up tomorrow, my knee's going to hurt because I know it's going to rain. You know, like, I think you, there is some like mental charge you sort of put in there. Is that the exact reason why your knee hurts? No, but you know, I think if you, if you go looking for something, you're going to, you know, you're more likely to find it. You're going to find it. Exactly. And uh, yeah, and we can do a quick shout out to this uh, topic here. Um, this is something we obviously wanted to address, but a listener, shout out Vince Kaladi for asking to answer this question. So uh, glad you're listening and hopefully we, uh, we came through you there through for you. So, and that goes for all our other listeners. We, we absolutely take requests and we want to hear what you guys are saying because you know, this is who we're making the podcast for. Awesome. All right, Craig, let's move on to our last topic to wrap up the 15 
healthcare myths and lies that patients are told every single day. So this one near and dear to both of our hearts. Um, you know, this is a huge paradigm shift. I know for me, uh, especially when I started PT school, um, you know, initially I think we used to think that posture was, you know, if you had poor posture, you were like doomed, uh, to a life of pain. Um, and we have some recent research and, uh, some paradigm shifts that we've gone through just in the years that I've been practicing, um, and that you've been practicing. So the final myth is my bad posture is the reason for why I hurt. Ready? Go. <laughs> yeah. So this was like, you would, you know, initially people posture has become popular recently. Um, and I think that so many people just work desk jobs and are just predisposed to this kind of stuff. And like you said, initially in PT school, it was like, you know, if you sit with your head forward, it was like you were doomed to a life of neck pain. And they're starting to think that maybe that's not quite the case. So uh, when I think about posture, I, I typically I hear that with uh, spine pain and in the neck and in the low back, the places where we see patients all the time with pain is there's just not a great correlation for that being the sole root of the problem. Like, and when we're talking the thoracic spine, so the middle part of the back kind of between your shoulder blades, it, it gets a little more, uh, you know, positive there. You can kind of say like, eh, if your back is this way, maybe it's more likely to hurt, but still not overly definitive. But the big ones, the neck pains, the low back pains, not much of a correlation there. But the key is, and we explain this all the time, is if you do have some sort of symptoms or if you do have pain, maybe the position that you're in for such a long time can have an effect on so it comes in like the, the, the communication kind of turns from maybe not, you know, you have to have ideal posture and fixing your posture, but we might talk about things like, well, this is the way we can improve things, or this is the way we can get you out of that position for a while. Because if you do have symptoms and now you're putting your muscles on stretch for a long time or asking your muscles to work a little harder for a long time, or you're asking an aggravated area to work, like, of course that can that can have a, you know, a negative effect on your symptoms. But the reason you got there in the first place is likely not that. And that's like, I think kind of a hard pill to swallow. So I don't know, how do you, how do you typically educate there, Drew? You know, I, I kind of give people the, I, I try to paint the picture in their head of if you were to sit slouched over for an hour, do you think you'd have neck or back discomfort? And let's take anybody, let's take anybody, no pain. You don't even have to have pain. If you sat completely slouched over in one position for one straight hour and were told you're not allowed to move, would you get uncomfortable? Answer is yes. Now, let's say you sat with perfect posture. So you sat upright, slight arch in your low back, shoulders back, head back, and you sat there for one hour and did not move. Would you have some discomfort? Yeah, you'd want to get out of that position. So for that very reason, I usually educate people and tell them, look, there's the best posture is a changing one, but there are going to be certain types of diagnoses and pathologies that if you can avoid a certain posture for a period of time, you're going to heal a little bit faster. And that's not to say that, you know, sometimes it's actually with certain types of conditions, I will want people to slouch. I know that sounds goofy, but slouching will actually take them out of pain. And then the flip side is sitting upright or sitting in perfect posture may also relieve pain for someone. So I don't want to say that there is like one specific good posture that you should be in all the times. It depends. It's relative to, for one, the condition that we're dealing with. If you're a generally healthy person 
that has zero pain at all, I would say as long as you're changing your posture every 20 to 30 minutes, you know, if you're sitting and you're sitting kind of slouched for like, you know, 15 to 30 minutes. Okay. And then you stick a towel or a lumbar support underneath your back and you sit up for 15 to 30 minutes. You're doing a great job of, you know, keeping an ever changing posture and making sure that your joints stay, you know, nice and lubricated and in a a good position overall. You don't have to sit perfectly all day long, but if you sit in one spot for too long, yeah, you're going to develop some stiffness and some discomfort and that might start to linger with you. So I always tell people like we need to avoid the extremes of both postures. Um, you know, sitting slouch, sitting upright, perfect. You know, you need to find like a, a happy medium in the middle. If you do have a specific condition that warrants us to obtain a certain posture, I might need you to make a lifestyle change for a short period of time until we treat the condition. Once the condition is treated, then you can sit however you like again. You can go back to, you know, a little bit of a rounded posture. If you want to continue to sit, um, you know, very upright, you can do that as well. But you know, what we know now about posture is different than what we used to know. We used to think that if you sat with rounded shoulders and a rounded back, um, there's a guarantee that you're going to have pain. But a lot of the deep studies that we've looked at, and I mean, this is a really well-studied topic. We are not seeing that correlation. But when you do have pain, posture may actually matter. Um, it, posture might not have caused the problem, but posture can make a difference when you are experiencing uh, some symptoms. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think it's nice that you brought up the extreme ends too. Like, uh, like if, for example, if you work from, if you're now working from home and all of a sudden you have your laptop on your lap and you're curled up into a ball all day, like that's, I would consider that more on the end of, you know, extreme. But if you, you know, if you work uh, your company desk, someone came in and, you know, did their ergonomic assessment, you have a, a pretty nice chair, your monitor's at a nice height, your keyboard is, you know, within a reachable distance, you know, do those like fine tune? Did you make some weird fine tuning thing that now has caused your neck or back pain? You know, likely not. Likely not. So I think that uh, you know finding a happy medium is the same thing that I educate. So I agree with you 100% on that one. Awesome, man. Well, hey, I think we uh, really crushed these key points today, or um, these these topics today. Do you want to leave our listeners with some good take home points on each of those uh, five myths that we spoke about today? Um, you know, something to take home, something for the road. Uh, I know we hit on some really, really charged topics. I think if you can wrap them up into one or two sentences, that would be awesome. Of course, five, five topics, five key points. So number one, uh, I have pain. I need an x-ray or an MRI as soon as possible. I think, you know, we like talking about this one. We're passionate about this one outside of serious pathology or the need for surgery, imaging provides little diagnostic utility and is likely overutilized, especially in the United States healthcare system. It's just a piece of the puzzle and everything's gotta add up. So remember that one. Number two, I had a certain, I had imaging done and now I've seen that something is irregular and there's a problem on there that can't be fixed. Um, key point here, oftentimes imaging is super detailed. It gives a lot, a lot of information and it can find problems in places where the results might even be irrelevant or might even be normal. So it's important not to get caught up with it and it has to fit in with everything else that we're finding. Number three, this is something that's happened in the past. You know, I've used this to fix it and I don't think exercise is going to help. 
Uh, and I think the most important point here is passive treatments provide short-term relief. We like to use them, we can use them, but for our long-term outcomes, that typically happens when something is accurately diagnosed. We adapt some version of an active treatment approach, which can be you know, in combination with our, our passive modalities. And likely there has to be some kind of lifestyle change. So if something is chronic and, you know, coming back, if you want to have a good, you know, if you want to have a significant change in your pain, you need to make a significant change in your life oftentimes. Uh, number four, I can tell changes in the weather based on my pain. Like we said, kind of a gray, gray area here. The research and the things we see clinically, sometimes they don't add up. Right now, research says they don't correlate, but what we see in front of us every day says it might correlate. So right now, we're going to remain uh, you know, healthy skeptics, and hopefully we can investigate this further you know, as time goes on. Last one here, posture equals why I hurt. Um, and I think the biggest thing to remember here, posture and pain are poorly correlated. So it doesn't typically seem like this is the sole reason why things are going on. We need to take a step back. Let's look at the bigger picture and kind of find our happy medium with posture. And remember, if we are symptomatic, it can absolutely have an effect, but it's not the end all be all for why you're feeling the way you're feeling. Boom. Good job, Craig. You crushed it. Um, you know, that wraps up our 15 healthcare myths that are told to patients every single day, um, or at least that we hear patients talk to us about every single day. Hope you guys like the three part episode. Our goal is to continue providing super high quality content for each and every one of you. Um, please reach out to us if you have any questions or topics that you want us to cover. We're always looking for new information. We love to take requests because that knows that you guys are engaged and you know, you're, you're here to learn and we're here to educate as best we can and give you guys all the information that's in our heads uh, and lay it all out in a way that you can easily understand and then hopefully go into the real world and apply it. So uh, thank you so much for tuning into the Straight Talk Physio podcast. If you like what you're hearing, it would mean the world to us if you subscribe to this podcast and the Peak Physiotherapy and Performance YouTube channel. For more information about us, please check us out on Facebook at Peak Physiotherapy and Performance and on Instagram at P3 Physiotherapy. For more information about Craig, you can follow him at Dr. Craig G underscore PT on Twitter and Instagram. If you have any topic suggestions, comments, or questions, then feel free to email us at thestraighttalkphysiopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for watching, and we hope you guys have an awesome day.